Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. It is my pleasure to present this bonus episode of Sound Practice. Today, we will be looking at funds that are still available to healthcare providers under the Cures Act. As deadlines loom, the possibility for missing opportunities is close at hand. In an effort to assist physician leaders and healthcare executives navigate the world of COVID-19 relief, we have brought in an expert. Get a piece of paper and a pen. You're not going to want to miss this bonus episode of Sound Practice. My guest today is Dominic Sagala. Dominic is the team leader of Witham's Healthcare Advisory Service Group. He has worked in large academic acute care hospitals and also has deep experience in physician practices. Dominic has expertise in cost containment, integration of facilities, revenue cycle, strategic planning, and right sizing the cost structure of facilities to correlate with their volumes. Dominic Segala enjoys a national reputation and is an acknowledged thought leader in the field of healthcare finance. It is my pleasure and good fortune to be speaking with Dominic Segala. Dominic, welcome to Sound Practice. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure. Well, we've got a lot to discuss, and I want to just jump right in. Under the original provider relief funds under the, the CARES Act guidance, the end of uh, end of this, we're recording in, in June for purposes of our audience, the end of this month, June 30th, 2021, was the reporting deadline. Can you provide any updates to this? Absolutely. And uh, it's a great, it's, it's a hot topic right now um, with the change from a leadership standpoint of our presidency and as such, uh, correlating change in the secretary of HHS, there hasn't been a lot of information coming out recently. Um, we expect information this week to come about, seeing that you know we're literally 20 days away from the reporting deadline. But what I can tell you, and from everyone I've spoken to, um, and some of our people down in DC, and and people I peers I have across the country, is that the reporting deadline will absolutely be extended. Um, it will be pushed out. So we believe it's either going to be December 31st of 2021 or more likely March 31st of 2022. Um, and the reporting deadline originally, you know, that the period to use the funds was up through June 30th to be reported 30 days later, July 31st. Um, what came out today from the Secretary of HHS is he believes they're gonna to continue to keep the deadline of use of funds as of June 30th, meaning those funds that people received back in 2020 and the beginning of 2021, they'll have up through June 30th to utilize those, but the reporting via the portal of HHS will be pushed out, as I said, either end of the year or more likely probably end of first quarter of 2022. Well, that's good news for folks that need a little extra time. Absolutely. Excellent. So are there still some unspent dollars in the provider relief fund? Have you heard any potential release of, of those those funds? Yeah. So originally under the CARES Act back in March of 2020, there was $175 billion allocated. Um, 
you, you see differing numbers, but the, the approximate is around 155 billion has been spent. Um, so we believe, and some say 20 billion, some say 22 billion, is still in the CARES Act under the original provider relief fund. And also back in December of 2020, under the Continuing Appropriations Act, there was another $3 billion that was allocated. So, you know, take the 20 plus, if you will, billion plus this 3 billion, we believe there's still $25 billion out there. And there's a lot of discussion, a lot of lobbying activity around another release and call it a phase four that would be distributed to all providers over the next 60 to 90 days. Um, for those that received phase three money and phase one and two basically came to the providers because of either their cost report or information the federal government had. Phase three, you actually had to submit data via a portal and the data was for Q1 and Q2 of 2020. So what we understand for this phase four of approximately 25 billion, if it does take place, it will be Q3 and Q4 of 2020 that they will look at to come up with the methodology to try to get these funds allocated to all eligible providers. So if you really take a step back and, and go to our first question that we talked about, the reason we believe that the reporting deadline will be pushed out to March 31st is they wanna have coterminous for these types of funds, right? They want everything to align. It would make no sense for, you know, a, a June, July 31st reporting deadline, more money comes out than there's a December 31st. And that's why the more we talk to people, the more we think it's going to be a phase four distribution, give them six months to utilize it, tie all of these funds together that were distributed. You have one reporting deadline somewhere out at the end of March of 2022. And, and when you really think about it, it makes sense, right? Everything align, get more money out there. There's no reason why they're gonna have a reporting deadline and then issue more money. So some positive news, you know, I, I think the big takeaway from our standpoint, what we're telling all of our clients is the reporting deadline will be pushed out. So you have more time to breathe and pull stuff together. And we're hopeful that there will be some more dollars coming out to assist the providers because as we all know, uh, you know, everything you see out there and all the reports from all the firms that are doing the reporting, the volume still isn't back to where it was prior to the pandemic. So places are still struggling to get back and to get their margin back to where it was before. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense yeah, when speak of it in a global um, viewpoint. And a lot of, a lot of funds still potentially available, right? I mean, on a percentage basis, north of 15% of what's already been given out could could come back or Absolutely. be reallocated. So this is certainly something that uh, our listeners to Sound Practice need to know about. Yes. V very helpful. Uh, so what other updates have you heard in terms of methodology for next phase of provider relief funds when, whenever, if ever they're released? So, you know, the, the, the phase three, the goal of that one was, um, and this was back in, uh, dating myself a little bit here, trying to remember back. I think it was November. I know it was November of 20 was the deadline. And it was, the goal was to get every provider up to 2% of relief funding of their net patient service revenue. 
So in the original amount was 20 billion, then they tried to push it up to 24 billion because um, there was many providers, a lot of Medicaid providers, a lot of mental health providers that didn't receive the other funds because the other funds were really targeted towards those COVID areas that were really impacted heavy. Um, this tried to go more to the rural areas, to the Medicaid providers, et cetera. Um, and like I said previously, they had used Q1, Q2 data of 2020. So for instance, all the providers submitted their data of 2020 revenue expense, and they utilized that methodology to come up with, here's what we need to get them, either a percentage of this loss or 2% of their net patient service revenue. We believe that going forward, when they submit their revenue and expenses for Q3, Q4, albeit you know, the pandemic wasn't at its height, but it was still impacting them, we think they're going to come up with some methodology of some percentage. Let's let's give a for instance, you know, Q3, Q4, I'm a provider, you know, it's a million dollars worth of losses. Um, somewhere in the, you know, some type of percentage they'll put out there. And again, they have to work backwards, right? They'll get all the information. They'll take the 25 billion, almost reverse engineer it and say, okay, for this provider, you know, you're going to get 26% of your losses. You're going to get 46% of your losses for Q3, Q4. So we believe it's a straightforward revenue and expense. The big unknown is what is that percentage? And clearly what's going to dictate that is how big are the losses, right? The bigger the losses, the lower the percentage. So all providers out there can get some type of funds. I think that's a long-winded way of saying that we're not sure, but we think it's going to be based on revenue and expense and some type of methodology around percentage. Okay. Uh, the window of time that you describe seems relatively close at hand, and there's going to need to be some calculations. What's your advice to, to people as far as working with an organization like yours or, or a similar organization as far as preparing for uh, submission to, to collect some of these funds? Yeah, and so what we always say is, you know, reach out to your advisors, your accountants, your consultants, um, you know, first and foremost on the funds you've already received and make sure you're accounting for them correctly. So when it is time to report on them, um, you have them all, you know, we call it audit proof. Clearly on a hundred and some odd billion dollars that's out there, the government is gonna come back and look at this. And secondly, um, you know, most people should have their Q3, Q4 of 2020 financial information readily available. I think continue to ask your advisors as soon as they hear something, let them know so they can start to pull together, aggregate the data. And if it's similar to the previous phase three, there'll be probably a 30 to 45 day window to submit all this data. The government will take another 30 to 45 days and then there'll be distribution of funds. Again, fingers crossed, but I, I can't see with the current administration in place with 20 some odd billion dollars that's already been approved, not to put it out into the providers in hand for them as a, you know, as a continued cash flow band-aid to try to get back to where they were. Sure, that that makes sense. Now, Dominic, we've we've been speaking about the provider relief funds under the the, the CARES Act, but there are some other opportunities, are there not, uh, for physician groups? Absolutely, and I'm I'm really glad you brought this up. So um, there's something called an employee retention tax credit. And I'm going to stay really high level so people understand basically what it is. 
Um, we won't get into the weeds on this, but you know, our firm and many firms have done webinars on this and we really call it free money. So many of you out there received PPP1 and maybe even PPP2. And prior to December 27th of 2020, it was an either or. You either received the PPP money, PPP1, or you could file for this employee retention tax credit. We told all of our clients, as probably 99% of the people listening to this, go for the PPP. You know you can get forgiveness on it. It's money that's readily available. Part of that December 27th Consolidated Appropriations Act, they changed it to say, now, even if you received a PPP loan, you can apply for the employee retention tax credit. And literally what it is, just as it sounds, it's an for retaining employees. And not to get into a lot of detail, but there's 2020, you can qualify in 2020 by a partial government shutdown. And I'll make it real simple. Every state across the country canceled elective surgeries for a period of time. I'm sitting in New Jersey, it was a 70 day window. So during that window of time is how all of our providers qualified for this employee retention tax credit. Now, basically what it says is you could have up to 50% of $10,000 of qualified wages. Real you know, fancy way of saying up to $5,000 per employee if you have under 100 employees, every one of them qualifies. So let's just say 2020, I have a physician group with 80 employees. Clearly we were affected by this partial government shutdown. Do I have enough wages per person during that 70 day period? You know, someone who makes 60,000 a year, that's 5,000 a month. So over 70 days, they're gonna get $10,000 of qualifying wages, 50% of that. The other thing they did for 2021 is, now to qualify, you have a 20% drop in revenue of your 2021 versus your 2019. So I'll just give a simple example. 2021 in the first quarter, you did 5 million in revenue. And in 2019, first quarter, you did 8 million. That exceeds a 20% drop. And now it's $7,000 per employee. And that 100 FTE threshold is now 500. So now I have a group that prior had a, you know, 220 people while it didn't qualify in 20. Now you can get up to $7,000 per each one of those employees for Q1. And the way it's written, if you qualify for Q1 because you had a 20% drop in revenue, you automatically qualify for the next quarter. So you're talking, you know, 220 times 7,000, you're talking a million five for each quarter. And what they did was they allowed it to go to the end of the year. So we've been getting clients significant dollars. And it's, you know, by the IRS guidelines, you show the 20%, you work through the qualifying wages. And I said, I wouldn't get into the weeds, but the one thing you need to talk to your advisors about is if you have not received forgiveness on your PPP2, work the two of these in conjunction because there's a way to maximize the reimbursement on both of them. But the takeaway on this, if you don't listen to anything else I say during this whole podcast, talk to your advisors and your consultants and ask them if you qualify for the employee retention tax credit. It is literally free money. We've gotten some clients back in the millions. We've gotten large academical medical centers back. 
tens of million dollars, but we're really focused on the physician groups. And, you know, you can do really do simple math. You know, you have 100 employees times 7,000, that's for one quarter. We just did it the other day for a 40-person practice, 280,000 for Q1, same for Q2. And the way they do it, your payroll provider, your consultant will then go to your payroll provider. They amend your quarterly payroll withholding or your filings, and you can either get a check back from the federal government. So remember the days when you got an actual refund check, or for those that are really strapped for cash, you can apply it as a credit. So it's, it's unbelievable. Definitely talk to your advisors and consultants. It's something that we continue to work with all of our clients on. It's money out there. You have to take advantage of it. Yeah, that um, it, it also sounds from, from my layman's position, um, a little bit complex um, and certainly something that we're not not used to. Um, right. I, th- this is this is not one to try to go alone. I don't think you want somebody with some experience to um, to help you help you through this. Uh, but what a what a tremendous opportunity! And for those practices that revenue did not drop the twenty percent, or are they still qualifying for the the retention at the five thousand dollar level per employee? Or do you not only have to have the employees, but also have a corresponding drop of of revenue in the quarter? So what I, yes, so 2020 stands on its own. So that partial government shutdown qualifies everyone um, because every state mandated cancellation or deferral, I should say, of elective surgeries. Sure. So that 2020 stands on its own. So we've been doing the 2020 piece and then going to look at the 2021. And the only thing I would say about the 2021, go by each quarter. I mean, Q1, maybe you didn't, you know, you were fortunate to have a great quarter. If your second or third quarter drops below 20%, you qualify and you also qualify for that next corresponding quarter. So it's it's something to monitor. Um, like you said, it's not something to go out on your own. The advisors, consultants you're working with clearly understand this. And it's if they haven't spoken to you about it, reach out to them and say, you know, let's set up a 30 minute call and see if we qualify for this money. Sounds, uh, sounds like a, a reasonable approach. And one more time for those uh, members of our audience that may be driving or, or, or distracted as they listen to this, what's the time frame in which they have to apply for these funds? So they have until the end of this calendar year. Um, so, you know, there's really no, the real rush we always say is the federal government's taken about three months to process the refunds. But, you know, you could, you could wait till the end of this calendar year in December and look back and do the 2020 piece and any quarters of 2021. So you have until the end of the year. Um, we've pushed it out there in advance and tried to get out in front of it just because we know there's a lag time in getting these payments out. So you can reap the benefits of this positive cash flow coming back to you. And are you limited to a apply once? I mean, do we have to wait for everything to accrue or can we apply for what we know we're entitled to at the moment? And then if we have a bad quarter in 2021 Q2, for example, um, then apply a second time. Absolutely right. So each quarter will stand on its own in 2021. Um, The 2020 piece, what I I failed to mention is there's two ways in 2020. It's a partial government shutdown or a 50% drop. Not many places, many of the providers are on a cash basis. So the 50% drop is, is pretty draconian. We don't see that very often. Um, 
but great, great question you had. Right. Thankfully. Right. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Um, But yeah, each quarter will stand on its own and you can reapply for each quarter in 2021. So something to look at on a quarterly basis doesn't have to wait till the end of the year. You could have done Q1 and you're going to wait until look at Q3 and and apply again. Um, That's tremendous information that hopefully is beneficial to many of the folks listening to this, um, to this podcast. What are some areas, you know, when you have, when you have a lawyer, um, we, we can't be all positive. It's just ingrained in us. So I'm going to have to now ask you about some areas of concern to uh, take a little of the uh, the luster off of all the happy news that you've just presented to us. Tell tell me, are there areas of concern for physician groups that, that you're seeing now with your clients? So the biggest area of concern for us, and it's always been out there, but it's front and center right now, is cyber attacks and, and ransomware. And you know, we, we've been telling clients it's not a matter of if, unfortunately, it's a matter of when. Um, and, and in the past, you know, many of our provider groups and many of our physician practices, be it, you know, a five physician group, a 50 physician group, just didn't want to take the money and spend on this because, you know, it's not going to happen to us. Well, that that's changed. You know, that ship has sailed. We really believe that and, and you can see it's in every headline. I mean, the federal government is now basically considered a terrorism. Um, what they're doing in terms of, you know, just our infrastructure and our supply chain. And we all know that the true hackers out there, and it's run like a business, you know, they want this PHI, they want this patient health information because it's the most complete information to replicate an individual and to go out there and do what they would do with that, um, you know, becoming that person. So, And what we've tried to do is we've coupled the fact of if you're doing the employee retention tax credit or if you have some additional provider relief funds, you know, if you have cash on your balance sheet at this point in time because of some of this funding, go out, find a consultant, find somebody to do an assessment for you. One, make sure you do an assessment and two, make sure you speak with your insurance broker around a cyber policy. And and I have to tell you, I'm blown away by what I've learned over the last two months. If you think just because you have a rider that says you're covered for cyber attack, you really need to read or have an expert go through and read the fine lines and the fine language because many of them say it's covered except for an act of war. And if you have some of these cyber hackers that are coming from foreign countries that are considered an act of war, you're not covered. Um, The other thing is when you have an assessment done, it basically will help provide from a coverage standpoint because you've done everything that this assessment has asked you to do. You've put everything into the environment and you can't control what else is out there. So, you know, it, it's not cheap. Um, you know, we see them ranging anywhere from 20 to $40,000, but, you know, between that and sitting down with your insurance broker, because one thing we know is not only from a reputation and a clinical standpoint and a patient standpoint, but financially, you know, every one of your pieces of data or your EHRs or everything goes down and we're in such a technology, technologically driven environment from a, you know, patient care standpoint, you're crippled. You can't do anything. You can't get a bill out the door. And, you know, I'll just give you a quick example. We had a group of 50 docs who this happened to, 
they couldn't get a bill out the door for 45 days. So you resort back to manually, and then you have the reputational impact of, you know, they make the headlines in the local newspaper, they were attacked, our patient's going to now go elsewhere because of it. So it's an unfortunate situation, and you're right, you know, all this good news, but this is something that has to be taken seriously. There's plenty of firms out there that could help you with this, and, you know, just because you have an internal IT person or, you know, you're on Microsoft 365 and your information's in the cloud, there are hackers out there on the dark web that can just come in, pick apart a password and just enter into your system. And, you know, the rest is, would be an unfortunate situation. Well, you absolutely raised some, some tremendous points. Um, I've seen some studies that as high as 30% of individuals uh, will not return to a practice if their uh, medical information has been, been compromised and, and hacked. And certainly there are some, very interesting studies out there that show patients are withholding information from physicians at the rate of uh, north of 15% of all patients admitting that they have withheld some sensitive information from a provider because they feel that it could be in jeopardy. And as our audience will, I think, attest, it is very difficult to treat a patient that does not trust you and withholds information from you. And there gets us directly to patient care. And I think that um, should uh, legitimize spending money in this in this arena. Uh, but thank you very much for bringing that topic up. I know that we were spending a lot of time on the, the, the CARES Act and, and how uh, practices and, and medical groups, healthcare systems could, could receive financial assistance from our government. And that's extraordinarily important uh, too. But the point that you raise is a is a very good one and extraordinarily uh, timely. So, so thank you very much uh, for reminding us all of, of that. And you know, just one more quick thing to add to that. that what really you know adds to the opportunity from a hacker standpoint is because the pandemic brought about two things: remote workforce. A lot of your billers and stuff are remote, and two, telemedicine. So there's other areas where you're going to have a, a you know a lapse in security or maybe they're not in your environment, and we've seen that also. You know the days of prior to the pandemic, telehealth happened really only in the rural settings, and there was never people working from home. Now you have people dialing in from home, and you have telehealth taking place. So you know those coupled with the fact of you know just the the sheer impact of what cyber and ransomware attacks are going. Um, it, it just really puts the icing on the cake is why we think everyone should have some professional come in to do some type of assessment. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it is kind of a confluence of a, of a perfect storm when it comes to these kind, right. of, kind of, of issues. So uh, I hope our audience takes heed of that because that's strong and useful advice. Uh, Dominic, I can't thank you enough for spending a time with us and being a guest on Sound Practice. I think you've offered up some great information. Hopefully, uh, the audience uh, members can in their uh, groups can benefit from it. Thank you so much. Thank you, and I uh, had a great time doing it and love to come back again when uh, there's some more great topics to discuss out there. Um, anyone who comes with advice on how to get free money is always welcome on Sound Practice, Dominic. Thank you very much. My guest has been Dominic Sagala. Thank you. My thanks to Dominic Sagala of Witham for his time and guidance.
Hopefully, some of this audience will take advantage of Dominic's suggestion. If you would like to contact Dominic Segala directly, his information can be found in the show notes. Thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Join me next time on Sound Practice. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Had his holy cow, but man Robin went for a